Welcome to The Greenhouse Effect. Our hope is that this podcast would be like a greenhouse to help you get unstuck and grow in your full potential because life ought to be fully lived. Well, Carrie, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you. Hey, thanks, Steve. It's great to be with you, man. I think a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with you and maybe some of your uh, teaching, speaking, books, but maybe give a little bit of background on, you know, who is Carrie? Oh, yeah. Well, um, let's see. Where do I start? I'm married uh, to an amazing woman. We've been married 28 years. I have two grown sons. So we are in the empty nest phase, which uh, as encouragement to parents with young kids is wonderful if you still like each other. And we still like each other. Uh, I'm a former attorney turned pastor and founding pastor of a church called Connexus Church North of Toronto. And uh, now I'm the founding pastor, not the lead pastor. Tried to make sure that succession went well and spent a lot of my time these days, uh, in addition to teaching at the church a number of weekends a year. Uh, I'm an author, speaker, podcaster, blogger, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Yeah. So that's what I do. Yeah, and you have a there's a cool conference, Rethink Leadership, that I'm actually going to. I'm excited yeah, yeah. for that. You're going to come to it. I think we still have space, depending on when this airs. But uh, I, I actually have talked to some of the keynote speakers. We have the founder of the Ritz Carlton, Horst Schultze, coming. Nona Jones from Facebook, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, John Acuff will be there, New York Times bestselling author. John and I host the event along with Brad Lominick from Catalyst fame and the different things he does, H3 leadership. So it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. I think uh, also there are Danielle Strickland, Darius Daniels. And so uh, we're opening up to business leaders for the first time this year. So you're going to be there with some friends. And really, the, the heartbeat behind Rethink Leadership, Steve, is content is portable. So I might share a brand new idea with you on this podcast today, which I probably won't. I'm not that creative. But let's <laughs> say I did. Uh, and you might be like, wow, I can only get this on this podcast. But you know what? Six months down the road, it'll be all over the internet. That's just the age we live in. So people, I don't think, go to conferences anymore for content. So now we're going to have killer content. It's going to be amazing content. But I think as most of us know, well, I heard that podcast or I'm going to hear that podcast. And we ask our guests to write all new talks. So, um, you know, it will be new content. But the genius of it, I think, is connection and community. So we sit you around round tables where you connect with new people, peers, networking. Uh, we do a lot of talk back. Guests are limited, like hosts, speakers are limited to 18-minute talks usually. And this freaks them out. The time... <laughs> is the time the audience can see. So it's not just like, you know, I ran 10 past my time. Everyone sees when you went over time. And then we have these things called affinity conversations where the speaker is only allowed to present for 15 minutes and it's 45 minutes of interaction with the audience. So we want every guest to leave with their quest, you know, their questions answered, their context addressed, and we kick it all off with the VIP reception. So that is May 1st through 3rd in Atlanta, Georgia. You can get all the information at rethinkleadership.com. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm a really big fan of that format, although you know, I haven't experienced it yet, so I'm excited. But I think it's smart. It is smart because you're right. The connection, 
not only is that lacking in a lot of conferences, but it's what we're all craving and needing more of due to, you know, how much we are getting digitally. So I think that'll be really fun. Well, and Steve, I was listening to a podcast this week where the argument was when you look at where AI and technology is taking us, even as a species, lower level jobs are disappearing pretty fast. I mean, you're, you're going to look at stuff, the, the, and this is sad for a lot of people, but unskilled labor, very easily replaceable. And what they're saying, the shortage now, because we're in a full employment economy, is in higher level thinking, people who can synthesize meaning, people who can spot connections, people who can interpret what's being said. And I think that's a little bit of a metaphor as well for how our, a lot of us are, are reacting to content today. I mean, our phones produce more information in a day than our great-grandparents would have had in a lifetime. Like, think about that for a moment. But what does that mean? How does that apply to my business? How does that apply to whatever I'm leading? And I think that is the crisis. You know, the crisis that we're in today is not a shortage of information. It's a shortage of meaning and ethics. And so that's what we want to try to bring together in spaces like that. And that's, of course, you know, why I do podcasts like you do is let's try to broker meaning in the midst of this. Let's try to figure out what does this all mean? What are the days that we live in? Um, Because that's hard. I have a degree in history. And, you know, you look back, you put yourself in the Second World War and you think, what side would I have been on? And immediately we all think, well, of course, we'd be on the side of good. We'd be on the side of freedom. But would you really, if you, if you were born in Germany, if you were born in Russia, would you have been on that side? And so often, you know, when you're in that context, the, the, it's much more nuanced than that. And so I think the future really belongs to people who can sort of rise above, see beyond the immediate murmur and kind of help move us all forward in a positive direction. Now, so that's actually something that you're big on is intentionality. And I mean, myself and everyone listening to Greenhouse Effect loves trying to be more intentional and thinking about that strategically. And you're also good at bridging kind of what you said, meaning along with practicality. And maybe I'd just be curious, where does that, where does that come from for you? Like we talked a minute ago about (laughs) you're kind of, you know, starting to live out more of your dream and, and, uh, you know, your calling and passions. How does that intentionality thread play into it? Where does it come from for you? Really interesting. Before we started recording, you and I were comparing ages. So I'm about exactly 20 years older than you. I got two (laughs) decades on you. And it's interesting because as as a 33 year old, Steve, I, I would, uh, everything was just kind of confusing to me. Like, I mean, I was leading, I was leading at a good level. Things were growing and everything, but I would be like, why does that guy behave that way? Or how come this happens? And what happens, what you, what you get with time is you get experience and you get some repeats and you're like, well, that guy reminds me of this guy who reminds me of that guy. And then you begin to get, as you read more, as you live more, as you experience more, as you understand more, um, you begin to gain great insight. So as a Christian, as a pastor too, I read the scripture. So I'm on, I don't know, around 30 of reading through the Bible. <laughs> you know, I don't know what I am, <laughs> but every year I kind of read through it. And, you know, you're starting to see connections that you didn't see before. And mm. it was funny because when I was about 10 years ago, all of a sudden it was like the synapses or whatever they are in my brain started firing in, in new sequences. And I'm like, oh, that's what that is. Oh, that's why he did that. And, you know, sometimes you're wrong, but, but there is, and I, I think, I think, you know, there's a certain wisdom that can come with age. I'm not sure it's inevitable, 
but I think that comes with age. So some of it is reps. I've got a lot of reps. And then I absolutely enjoy connecting the dots. To me, that's a lot of fun. Not all the dots are connectable, but I think mostly what I do for a living today is I try to connect the dots and I look back on my own experience. I have the privilege of working with thousands of leaders and thousands of people. So I kind of accumulate data, get senses, my gut, I read studies, listen to podcasts, read books, and I'm like, whoo, there's a lot of dots here. And, you know, I don't get them all right. And there's a lot of grace involved in, in what I'm doing these days. But that is a lot of fun. And I think some of that, I mean, there, there are old fools for sure. And there are young fools. But one of the great joys of getting older is you get all those reps in. It's mm. almost like what Malcolm Gladwell points out. You know, you get your 10,000 hours in. Yep. And what used to be really difficult, like I, I tried, I never mastered this at all. But, you know, I tried to pick up guitar in college. And uh, I just remember trying to get my, my hands to work together and then, and then change chords quickly. And it was so difficult. <laughs> and I mean, I gave up. Eventually on that one, I'm just like, I quit. But my son's a musician. And I watch him and he's just like, and then he can sing yeah. over top of that. And I'm like, I have no idea. Now, there's a little bit of gifting there. He is a gifted musician, but there's a whole lot of reps. And what what and when he started out, I remember when he was ten, I bought him his first guitar, and I'm like, "Well, level playing field. We're going to learn together." <laughs> Three hours later, he's like doing circles around <laughs> me, right? So yeah. he's got a gift for it. But what he could do when he was ten, or when he was thirteen, or even twenty, is different than what he can do at twenty-seven. And yeah, you know, I watch him, and then and then you watch some of the best in the world, and you're like, "My goodness!" But a lot of that is just reps. How did that dot connecting, how did you see that play out in your childhood and growing up? You want to hear something really weird? I don't, don't tell this story very often. But when I was in college, when I was under undergrad, I have three degrees. I have one in law, history, theology. But when I was doing history, which was my first, I don't know if there was a call thing. I'm a Christian. I don't know if there's a call thing. But I really had this idea. This, this vision of myself in the future. And I had no idea what it would look like. I, I didn't think I was called to ministry at the time. I was a Christian, but I wasn't called to ministry. I was going to be a lawyer. But it was this idea, this impression that I was on the outside looking in, that I wasn't really in the arena. I was commenting almost like a broadcaster would comment on a football game, mm-hmm. not playing. I'm just describing the game to you. And I had that very... Very, very strong sense. And, and, and this is weird as a Canadian. I had this sense it would involve America. And I mean, I was in Toronto. I've lived in Canada my whole huh. life. Yeah. And then it kind of went away. But I, I look at my life all these years later, and that's kind of what I'm doing. So I think a lot of that was calling. And I, you know, I believe in a God who's at work, whether we believe he's at work or not. So I think there was a lot of preparation that happened in my life in the early stages. I'm a podcaster now, but when I was 16, I walked into a local radio station and I asked them to hire me and they did. And so I did radio for eight years. Uh, and you know, radio isn't what it used to be. But then you know, from my home, I do this podcast that just has a crazy amount of downloads and lots and lots of listeners. And so I think God is always preparing us. Here's another interesting quote on purpose and meaning. But uh, there's an Eagles documentary on net. I think it's still on Netflix. It was done a couple of years ago. All the Eagles were still alive. And it's fascinating. Fascinating because it's really truthful. Like they talk about how they hated each other. Uh-huh. It's, it's a pretty honest family history, not a sanitized one. But Joe Walsh, who has done more than his share of drugs in his day, 
said, and he's, he's been sober for a long time, clean and sober for a long time. But he said to quote, because he was asked about the success of the Eagles. Uh-huh. And he says, at the time, your life, and he's quoting this poet, he says, your life feels like a series of just confusing, contradictory, random things. But in retrospect, you look back on it and it looks like a beautifully constructed poem. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at 53, I'll be 54 uh, in a couple of days. I, I look back on my life and I'm like, oh, that's what that was. <laughs> oh, I walked into a radio. If you believe that there's a God, which I do, maybe I walked into a radio station because it would prepare me for podcasting and, you know, law. People used to ask me all the time, do you use your law? Like I went into ministry in, in tiny little churches. So kind of the opposite of downtown Toronto law. And people would ask me in the first few years, Carrie, do you do, do you use your law? And I would be like, well, I'm not negotiating contracts or suing people. So no, not really. <laughs> uh, but now I, I answer that question differently. And the answer I give is every single day. Because law school, oh gosh, that's a boot camp. I mean, I went to, to one of the top law schools in the country. And I mean, my marks dropped from straight A's to like B's and C's with the odd A thrown in there. And I'm like, not fair. <laughs> uh, but intellectually, it totally reprograms your brain to see the world through, through different eyes. So, yeah. you know, I haven't cross-examined anyone in 25 years, but I could do it in a heartbeat. It's not that hard to see through people. But that also, now, am I doing that? No, I'm not doing that. But I'm trying to comment on trends and, and, and trying to see through things to see, well, what's really behind that? What's really going on? So I think all of those things, plus, you know, trench leadership for two decades in a local church setting, and then the work I do with wider church leaders, that's all sort of, you know, it all goes into the stew. And, and the stew is sort of what my life is now. And, 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 and again, you can't, <laughs> we, we also have an Instapot. You, it's amazing to me that in 30 minutes you can do a fully cooked stew, but I don't think life is like that. I don't think that what I'm doing now, the books I've written in the last decade, I couldn't have written when I was 20. I might've been able to write different books or different books when I was 30, but the one I just wrote and released six months ago, no way I could have done that even at 40. I wasn't ready. Yeah. It's such a good perspective builder because I've been talking to a lot of people lately about when there's struggles and times where you feel like you're just stuck or you're in this desert and you really can't see how it could play out into a bigger, better thing. There's always this, this bigger overarching story going on and each of our stories and what we can perceive and see in our, in our vision is this subplot of that bigger story. And so understanding that and thinking about it that way is actually, I think pretty hopeful because then even the hard times and the struggles you know that it probably is preparing you for something else, even if you can't see where what that is or where it's headed. Well, the preacher in me would take that back to the biblical narrative. There isn't, well, and, and you can take this for those who, who don't share that worldview or that faith, you can take this into almost every story. So for example, in the biblical story, there's Joseph. So you look at his life, it's terrible, absolutely terrible. You know, he's a little bit egotistical as a kid and 
goes around and says, I had these dreams that you're all going to serve me one day. And his brothers are like, I hate you. And they want to kill him and they decide to kill him. But instead of killing him, they throw him in a pit and they sell him to Ishmaelite traders who trade him to Egypt. And then he kind of gets a break and he goes up in Potiphar's home, who's next to the, the king, the pharaoh. And then his wife tries to seduce him. He says, I'm not going to do that. I have integrity. She accuses him of rape falsely. He gets thrown into prison. He gets forgotten in prison. It's like, that's the most pathetic life ever. But he gets remembered in prison and he gets elevated to basically prime ministerial status. And he gets these dreams. This comes back in his life. And he realizes there's going to be a famine, stores up food for seven years, saves the ancient world. His family comes back. You know, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. There's that climactic scene where his brothers come in and he reveals, I am Joseph. And I mean, I, 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 even now I'm getting emotional thinking about that. Such a powerful story. And what is his conclusion? You know, my life is terrible. All of that was necessary. For that moment to happen in, or maybe it wasn't necessary, but all of those things led up to that moment. And, you know, God uses our deepest pain if we let him for the greatest purpose. And think of any movie. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a real movie buff anymore. I'm too busy writing books or traveling <laughs> or whatever, but, but almost any, and I'm, I'm more nonfiction guy than a fiction guy, but, you know, the American dream is I have a happy life and nothing ever goes wrong and my lawnmower never breaks down and my car, get a new car every year, right? That's the American dream. And we're all happy and we live happily ever after. That's a horrible movie. You know, nobody would watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. Man man goes to, to work, has a happy day, comes home to a happy family, mows his lawn, goes to bed on time, gets up in the morning, watches <laughs> sports on the weekend. That's a terrible movie. That's a horrible movie. The movies we watch are movies with struggle, movies with, with pain, movies with the hero who doesn't know how he's going to get out of it, doesn't think he's got it in him. Those are the epic stories. We keep being drawn back to those stories. And anybody who tries to tell a different story, they don't have an audience. And yet when we see, we, 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 we glorify that in other people's lives, but we resist it in our own. And there's, you know, and, and, and in my own life, as we were talking about before we hit record, you know, one of the defining moments of my adult life was when I hit burnout in 2006. So all those years ago, I, I thought it was over. I was just, you know, just barely past 40. I thought my life was over. And now what do I do? I travel around the world and talk to people about burning out and thriving and coming back and how to create a new normal and living in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. That, that the worst possible period of my adult life, my life period, forget adult life, um, turned out to have a beautiful redemptive ending, which is the stuff that, you know, we, I, I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But a few years ago, I became grateful for that moment in my life because I realized that, that it was capable of helping other people. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that kind of leads to our key question for today, which is uh, how do you move from burnout to thriving? And I appreciate that for you, a lot of it comes out of experience and research and a lot of thinking and studying. And, and you talk about this topic a lot. And so I would love to dive into that. Share a little background on that. Where, what about that topic makes you so passionate to help other people uh, move from burnout to thriving? Well, in my 30s, I was the guy who was never going to burn out. 
like I, I'm driven, I'm entrepreneurial, I'm ambitious, hopefully redeemed ambition, but you know, that that's me. I'm an Enneagram 8. Uh, large and in charge and uh, <laughs> watch out, right? Yeah. And and things went really well through my 30s. Uh, married the girl of my dreams, uh, had three little churches that became three not so little churches. We amalgamated them, had an even bigger church. Then we you know, started over again as Connexus 12 years ago, blah, 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 blah. So it was a really good story. And mostly, you know, and, and, and again, if you're not in church world, just think about a company that grew and grew and grew. And we started attracting national attention in our country because of the growth rate in an era where most churches were declining. We weren't. We were the, uh, I think, fastest growing in our denomination. So everything was up and to the right. And, you know, I, I, I was arrogant enough and proud enough to just say, I don't do counseling. I send people to counseling. Now, I'd started to do counseling because my wife said, you need it. <laughs> so, so I went. Uh, but, you know, and people told me for years because, uh, you know, as we grew, and this is a problem with scale in every organization, you know, in the church world, 80% of all churches, yeah, 80% of all churches are 200 people or less. I think 2% of the church population is over a thousand people, but you translate that to business. 96% of all businesses in America are sub $1 million. Now, that's there's some mom and pops who just like, I don't ever want a business. I just want to run my own store. That's what I want to do. I don't want to work for the man. I want to work for myself. Uh, but a lot of that is scale issue. And I was having real difficulty trying to figure out how to scale. And I had a bad formula. My formula, Steve, was that more people equals more hours. That if God brought us more people, I just have to put in more hours. If you get more business, you get more hours. And of course, that doesn't, that doesn't work. And eventually, my body, my soul, my spirit just rebelled. And so all through my 30s, people kept telling me, you're going to burn out, you're going to burn out. And I'm like, nah, I'm not. And I came close, but I, I could always take myself right to the edge and then pull myself back. But the problem for me, I hit burnout headlong. And it's like I went headlong off a cliff and I lost all kinds of control. And um, I went through a period summer of 2006 where had I sought a diagnosis, I, I'm 99% sure they would have diagnosed me with depression. For an optimistic guy, my hope was gone. I remember lying on the living room floor one Wednesday afternoon and I just thought, this is it. My life's over. Like wow. it's done. And so uh, I had to claw and climb out of that, which, which is not an easy task. Wow, it's really powerful. So what happened for you? What happened maybe in you that started to shift that perspective? Yeah, well, um, it was the first time I'd ever really lost hope. And, you know, there, there, there was a period in which I was probably suicidal, like just thinking it's over. And the only way through this is out. Uh, but fortunately, I don't own any weapons. So that was very convenient looking back on it. Um, but it was, it was dark. It was really, really dark. And it's even hard for me now all these years later to go back into that space and go, was it really that bad? But like, I know it was really that bad. Hmm. But I didn't want to quit. I felt done, but I, I didn't believe God was done with me. And I didn't believe life was done with me. So I just kind of kept going. And what happens with a lot of people in burnout, like my life came to a crashing halt. My, my body is like, you are not moving at the speed anymore. <laughs> so I slowed right down. 
uh, August of 2006, I slept whenever I possibly could, like eight hours a night and then two or three naps a day. And I cried. I think a lot of leadership is ungrieved losses. So I kind of went through a month of tears and rest, paid off a little bit of the deficit. And then I remember in September of that year, the burnout started in May. The first little flicker of passion came back, like positive passion. And I laughed for the first time in a few months. And I thought, whoa, there's, there's still something there. But it took like a year to get back to 80% of normal. And around that time, I also realized, because when you're that sick, you just want to get back to normal right? It's like, please, can I just have a normal day? But I began to have the presence of mind to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't go back to normal because normal got you burned out. And if you go back to normal, it'll be months or years until you're burned out again. So then I'm like, okay, well, now what? And so I began to move into a quest where I realized I got to find a new normal. That And I didn't know what that new normal was. So I'd been seeing a counselor. I kept seeing a counselor. I think I changed counselors. But, um, you know, I had a new counselor and then I hired some coaches. And I'm like, help me find a sustainable pace. And so it took a little while. But like within three or four years, I was back into, I was into a new normal and I felt fully alive again. Like my heart was functioning properly. My emotions were functioning properly. I, I wasn't tired all the time. I wasn't exhausted. And I found this new normal. And along the way, and it took, took a few years, I reconstructed my life. And eventually, by, by four years ago, people were asking me, how do you get everything done? Like you work at a church full time, you, you have a podcast, you blog, you write books, you speak, you appear to have a good marriage. Uh, your kids seem to like you. You have hobbies. How is all this happening? And I realized that along the way, I discovered that that new normal was something that was really rare in a lot of people's lives. And so the, the, the mantra that sort of describes it for me is a single sentence. And I just learned how to live in a way today that would help me thrive tomorrow. And so that's, that's how I've been trying to live. There, there's a whole bunch of teachings underneath that. But it was like, yeah, if you're going to avoid burnout, you just never go back to that place where uh, you're, 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 you're going to burn the candle at both ends. And ironically, I would say my, my productivity is 10x what it was before I burned out. So I'm doing less and accomplishing more. Wow. You know, something that strikes me is you, you actually had to stop and take a breather, a big breather, at the very moment that it probably felt like you had to keep running and ramping up to keep, to keep things sustaining. Yeah, and what's so weird, I mean, I don't know if you've read Greg McEwen's Essentialism. It's one of my top 10 books. It's fantastic. Same but here, yeah. He tells an even more dramatic story about a guy. I think his name was Jeff. I can't remember who who was traveling all over the world, like a million miles, that kind of thing. And who like almost went into a psych ward with, with, with breakdown and his body just rebelled. And I think that's what happens, right? Like we are not robots. We're, we're human beings. And I had, I had so cheated my body in my thirties that it just said enough. So I didn't have a choice. 
You know, one one of the things I learned it's 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 really strange, and not to keep quoting scripture on a business podcast, but a lot of it is just so helpful. So there's a bizarre book nobody reads called Chronicles. And at the end of Second Chronicles chapter 36, it tells the story of the nation of Israel. And when God was setting up the people of Israel, he said, okay, every seven days, you're supposed to take a Sabbath. Every seven years, you're supposed to take a Sabbath year. And then every seven, seven, so every 49 years, you have the year of Jubilee. Uh-huh. Well, most biblical historians, because everybody's driven, right? This isn't a modern problem. Nobody figures, they, they figure that the year of Jubilee was never celebrated, that people didn't want to lay, let their land lay fallow for a year because of all the lost productivity. So they never did it. And the Sabbath was broken all the time. So there's this obscure little verse in, in and this has direct application to all of us who are driven and overambitious, where it said, uh, so the, the nation of Israel gets, gets invaded by Assyria, Everybody is dispersed, blah, blah, blah. And so the land is left barren. And there's this little verse that says, and the land finally had its Sabbath's rest. (laughs) For 70 years, it lay vacant. So 10 sevens, it lays vacant. The land, God's like, well, I told you to give it rest. Yeah. Now you've got rest. And what I learned (laughs) after I burned out and and reread that passage is if you don't take the Sabbath, the Sabbath will take you. Ah, oh, so good. I hope you trademarked that And it quote. took me. It's like, <laughs> I don't need this. I'm above this, you know, and I was dead. So that's why now it's like, I got to figure out a way to live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow. So I've got to, you know, even today, um, I got a day stacked with meetings. Tomorrow, I don't. I have no meetings. And Saturday, I fly out to England I got no meetings and yeah, you have to do an overnight flight when you fly to Europe usually, but like I don't do red eyes anymore. Uh, I try to get eight hours sleep yesterday. First day of spring, I went out on a 40 K bike ride. You know, I never used to exercise, I eat better and, and, and I've really become comfortable with solitude. So I love community. I'm out in community. But in my 30s, I couldn't sit alone in a room. I wasn't comfortable enough with myself. And I think it was Blaise Pascal who said, man's chief problem is his inability to sit quietly alone in his room. Seriously. I mean, I love that Sabbath analogy because he's so patient about it. You can almost imagine him being like, I told you. I mean, let me know when you're ready to take a break and do it the way I've set it up to be happening. But go ahead, do your thing. Let me know. I'll be here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's what happens to a lot of us, right? And you know, there's two ways to learn. One is through wisdom and the other is through pain. Pain is an incredible teacher. It just hurts. And so I learned an awful lot through pain and it hurt. Uh, it was a, it was a very very dark summer, and you know the other thing I would say, Steve, is there's and some of your your listeners leaders listening will for sure have hit burnout, or maybe they realize you know what I think I'm in burnout right now. But there's another thing, and I'm I'm working on a new name for it. I don't know what to call it, but I, but the working name is just low grade burnout. And low grade burnout is it's your your life isn't over like mine was in the summer of two thousand six where it's like oh my gosh I can barely get out of bed I I, I can't even put a sentence together how is this going to work like it's not that kind of crashing halt but the way my working definition for low grade burnout is the functions of life continue but the joy of life is gone hmm. 
You yeah. know, you don't love your work anymore. You don't love your family anymore. It's not that you don't, you're out of love with your family. It's just you've stopped feeling. Like your emotions aren't working properly. Your passion level is low. Uh, you're kind of tired all the time. So, tired, not so tired that you have to lie in bed, but you just you haven't felt like yourself in years. And and I think there's a there's a frighteningly high percentage of the population who is suffering from low grade burnout. Yeah, and I imagine a lot of the people listening right now are suffering that. And and if they don't realize it, when you just describe the symptoms, they're thinking like, oh man, yeah, a lot of those resonate. So. You know, help us out a little bit because you're on the forefront of this topic in a lot of ways. If someone's realizing now, man, I think I have some of that low grade burnout or I think I'm approaching burnout or I I feel like this is something I should pay attention to. What are some practical things they can do to start getting intentional and getting ahead of it and not have to reach that point of pain to learn? You know, how can they take some of the wisdom of people who have had to go through that like yourself and start to maybe avoid some of the disaster of it? Sure. Well, I'll start with people who, who maybe think that they are in full on burnout Um, break the silence, go talk to someone, go talk to a professional and a friend. So you may want to involve your medical doctor. Uh, For sure, you want to involve a therapist or a counselor because there's stuff in you that got you there. Mm. Uh, For me, there were a lot of unhealthy associations. I I was a performance addict. I'm a recovering performance addict, right? I I gain (laughs) love. Yeah, yeah. I gain love by performing well. And oh, that, is, that is a bottomless pit. So that, that's probably not your poison. But you know, there's something driving that behavior. Figure out what that is. Maybe seek medical help. But for the low-grade burnout people, for everybody, I would say one thing is slow down, get some sleep. Start with a good night's sleep. Like today, on the day you're listening to this podcast, go to bed a half hour earlier or an hour earlier. You know, Stop binge watching. Stop gaming till all hours of the night. Um, I used to cheat sleep and it's not heroic. And I think sleep is the great equalizer. So for, for a lot of people, honestly, it's like, just go to bed earlier. And uh, I've been experimenting lately with sleeping without, like waking without an alarm. Um, you know, if you got to catch a flight, different story. If you've got sure. a meeting, breakfast meeting, you don't want to sleep through that. But like, try, try just to give your body the rest it needs. Yeah. On a daily basis. And you might just, and I know if you got screaming babies, that's a different stage of life. But, you know, if your kids are a little bit autonomous, train them not to wake you up and don't feel like you have to get up when they get up at a certain age. So give yourself some sleep. We're, we're horrible people when we're sleep deprived. Like that is actually a terrorist technique. If you and I were kidnapped, one of the ways they would try to get to us is by making us stay awake 24 hours a day. And yet we do it to ourselves. So I would say that is a great equalizer and that will establish your baseline. Like you get to, let's say you get a week of really solid sleep. Some of you, that's going to solve the problem. Like that, that will be it. It's like, oh, now I can, now I can see things clearly. And for some of you, uh oh, I'm more than just tired. Yeah. Another thing I would do is, uh, and I, I have this thing, if you go to, I don't know whether it's available right now, but I have a course called the High Impact Leader course. Uh-huh. Um, it's just thehighimpactleader.com. But I have a calendar that, that thousands of leaders use now called the High Impact Leader Calendar. And it's actually just the system I put together on the other side of burnout. And if you think about your life, this is, this is a bigger fix than just getting some sleep at night. 
Uh, but that'll that'll help a lot. And then and then pay attention to your diet and get some exercise. Okay, so even if exercise you don't exercise at all, just go for a walk for a half hour a day. Uh, eat, sleep, diet, exercise. That is that is a lot of what is wrong with people today. So start there, and that'll give you a good baseline. But then beyond that, um, what I realized is most of our lives consist of repeating patterns. So I'm a content creator. Whether I'm creating a weekend message or a new book or a podcast episode. And what happens is most of us live our life in reactive mode. We let other people's priorities determine how we're going to spend our time. So if you know most leaders look at your calendar a month out, what does it have to say? Uh, most would say, well, you know, a month from now, I'm not doing anything. It's a whole bunch of white space. Well, the reality is that's never how your life goes. What'll happen is you got 42 emails Monday morning and everyone's asking for your time and you got 17 texts and three voicemails from people who hate you and they all, <laughs> want, they all want your time and then there's this fire you got to put out and there goes Monday. And then you get up and say, well, I got nothing on on Tuesday and then boom, 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 boom. And then I say, hey, Steve, what are you doing on Saturday? And you look at your calendar and you're like, nothing. Oh, good. Can you help me move? What are you going to say then? Right. It's like, actually, I forgot. You know, you're going to lie. <laughs> it's like, so what I started doing was I started scheduling my priorities. And I just said, okay, I knew as our church grew and as my life got more complicated, I could spend my entire life in meetings, like from start to finish. It's like, I'll spend until I'm 98 years old in meetings. And they're horrible. <laughs> yeah. uh, meetings, meetings are the enemy of work in, in many cases, unless they're well run. So I'm like, I'm only doing meetings on Tuesday and Thursday. And at first there was like a lot of pushback. It's like, and I was a senior leader, so I get that. But, you know, they're like, well, you got, you got to have more time than that. And I said, I'm going to do them between nine and three. People are like, well, can we do 8 a.m.? Can we? No, I have 12 hours of meetings a week. That's it. And it's amazing how efficient people get when you limit the time, right? If, yeah. you have, if you have five days to produce 500 words, you will take five days. Right. If you have an hour to produce, well, you probably can't do it in an hour. But, but two hours to produce 500 words, you'll write it if you have to. So, so I squeezed that in. And then I said, Monday's a writing day, Wednesday's a writing day, Friday's a float day. And that was my schedule. Now, that shouldn't be your schedule or anyone else's schedule. But that allowed me to accomplish what I have to accomplish. Because if you think about your most value-added work, whether that's planning for a strategic offsite or whether that is creating content or a talk you're working on or uh, whether it's you know a whole new customer retention system or client calls you have to make. Most leaders spend their time solving other people's problems. Well, what about your highest value-added work? And what happens is that that falls to the wayside. So when I budget that, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier, because I, I, I have a gift for communication. I'm not trying to say that in, in an egotistical way. But when I look at my life, that is what I am best at. And the reality is, you know, if Monday blows up with a bunch of meetings and Tuesday blows up with a bunch of meetings and Wednesday did the same thing and Thursday fell off the rails, if I had to, I could write a message Thursday night. <laughs> and it would be okay. Yeah. You wouldn't want your money back. Like I've got enough reps in that it's probably going to be okay. But that isn't, that isn't developing your gift. It's using it. And ultimately, it's cheating it. And so if you want to look at the people who are the very best communicators, they've set 10 to 15 hours a week aside to get better at it. If you want to look at the best writers, those are the people who say, no, every morning from 8 till noon, I just write. 
and there's no distractions. And so what happens to a lot of leaders is because life gets busy, they end up in a place where they're just saying, okay, well, now I got to do this report, but I'm supposed to be tucking my kids into bed. Sorry, honey, I'm not available. I, and, and your work is bad. It's bad because it's seven o'clock at night and you're exhausted. Right. And it's your highest value work. So why don't you calendar that? All of that is at thehighimpactleader.com. Oh, uh, it's so good. And it's so true because all of that urgent reactive stuff, there's another person on the other end of it usually. And so just as human beings, most of us, I think, we, we tend to prioritize that because there's someone waiting for it. And all the stuff, like you mentioned, that's our highest impact work, no one's asking for it except kind of ourselves. And so, we yeah, we put it off and then realize someday, hopefully, man, I lost out on a lot of that impact I could make. No, like nobody ever asked me to write a great book, but my publisher will fire me if I don't. You know what I love? Um, this uh, This high impact, the calendar system, I think... One thing that's really cool about it is, you know, in the corporate world, when we were talking about this, we realized, hey, we're all on the Microsoft Outlook calendar. And it's divided up, like most digital calendars, into kind of hour chunks. Somewhat half hours, but those are dotted lines. Like pretty much hour chunks, right? Right, right. And so at some level, everyone just books meetings for an hour because that's the default setting. And something we started to experiment with and some of the leaders were trying is like even just at the beginning of the week, Look at look at your week and just question each of those hour blocks. Like, does it actually need an hour? <laughs> and the answer is almost always no. Like, it could take five to ten minutes, but we just like default put an hour. Here's another hack. I mean, I did this literally before we did this podcast, where someone requested an hour of my time or two hours or whatever, and I said, "Hey, I can stay till noon." And they went. I brought value to the meeting. I hope we came up with some creative ideas, and I walked out in the middle of the meeting. Uh, and now I know that helps if you're the senior leader of an organization, (laughs) if you started the organization. Um, but if you make limited time available for that stuff or try a stand-up meeting or, um, you know, another thing I did, and uh, I mean, I'm doing this all the time with the different teams I lead. Uh, but there was one young guy I work with and we were just fighting fires almost every day. And I said, here's what I want you to do at the end of the day. I want you to give me a daily update. And I want you to tell me what you did. And I want to ask the questions. Well, it's a five-minute email for him to write. It's a five-minute, three-minute, two-minute email for me to answer. It solved most of the fires that we were trying to do. Like there, <laughs> That's good. There are so many better ways to manage our life. And here's, here's the truth about how modern life works. And think about this. Think about this through every email, every text, every voicemail you get. Nobody will ever ask you to accomplish your priorities. They will only ask you to accomplish theirs. That's it. Every email, every text, every voicemail, every knock on the door, every, hey, Steve, is here is my priority. I want you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then we go home every day and we complain to our families that we're not done our work. And what we did was we took everyone else's else, else priority. Now, you know, part of that is you got to sift through and you got to learn to say no nicely. But if you said, hey, this is my writing day and you're holed up in a coffee shop, I can't work in coffee shops or for me in my home, home office, uh, and, and you turn off your computer. I, I set my, my phone is on do not disturb. 98% of the time. So that's that little half moon on an iPhone. Yeah. I'm sure Android has the same thing. 
And so I miss all my calls. I miss all my texts. I turn all the notifications off. People are like, how can you live that way? Man, it's like, well, no, this is actually how you live. Yeah. Like if you really want to live while you're alive, it's a great way to live. And you don't need to know. Like every time there's... Like think about it. Think about snail mail. Okay. Oh, so man. if you still get bills by snail mail or whatever. Yeah. If every single time, you know, the US Postal Service sent you a note that said, <laughs> hey, someone, someone mailed you a letter... Whoa, the postmaster just picked it up in Kentucky. Hey, it just cleared Ohio. Hey, Steve, it's coming your way in Virginia. Whoa, it's three miles away. Whoa, we just dropped it in your mailbox. Now you should go pick it up. It's like, what? That's uh, way too much information. But that's our digital footprint, right? I love and that. And actually, couriers, that's exactly what happened. I got a courier. I mean, I get couriers every day. But it's like, hey, now it's here. Now it's there. Listen, if I'm getting a new iPhone, or AirPods, I want to know it just left China. <laughs> and that it's being cleared in Alaska and it's going to be here on Thursday. But you know, you don't need that level of information. And yet your phones behave that way because every time you get an email, ooh, buzz, buzz, turn that stuff off and shut your phone off. And when I talk to leaders about it, they're like, well, what if I miss something? I'm like, you're looking at your phone every 30 minutes. Like, are you telling me, like you're running... You're running NASA, like people are going to die if you don't look at your phone in the next 30 days. You're like, you're not like, or next 30 minutes. I am ADD enough to check my phone stupidly. And if I miss something for an hour, if something is that urgent, the police will find you and they will let you know. And in the meantime, you know, every hour or two when you're ready for a break, you just look at your phone, say, oh, I got five texts. I've got three missed calls and I've got 13 emails. Okay. Now I'm going to spend 10 minutes and I'm going to return correspondence and then I'm going to get back to deep work. It's a much better way to live, but you have to schedule it. I have to schedule it or it doesn't happen. And schedule it out in advance. Yeah. hundred percent. Your life is a repeating pattern. You, you eat the same thing for breakfast. You get up around the same time. You go to bed around the same time. Uh, you wear the same clothes often to similar functions and you know, your work is repeating patterns. It is not nearly as random as you think. And if you start to schedule it, like, you know, make Thursday expense day. You don't, you don't have to check the bank every day. You don't, you don't have to do that. So Thursday's expense day. That's when I handle that. You know, for me, I do my podcast interviews Wednesday afternoon. And most guests, because I work months ahead, are able to free up a Wednesday afternoon. Occasionally, you get a very high-ranking person who has a super tight calendar. Well, I can make an exception to that. But like, we treat everything as though it was an exception and a one-off. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. In some ways that living intentionally is just being responsible and giving and honestly loving the people who matter most in your life because of what you said. If you're, if you're ordering things correctly, then you can give the time and attention to them that, that you all want. Oh, 100%. And most, most leaders, and I had this experience, and I regret it. I've talked to my kids about it now that they're adults. But in my 30s, I would come home depleted, just exhausted. I had given my best at work. And, and that wasn't even my best. Like I was just overwhelmed half the time. And then you come home and you got nothing left to give. Well, that's, that's a terrible way to be married. That's a terrible way to be a parent. And so after my burnout, you know, my kids were still around. So they got some of the benefit of that. My wife has benefited greatly from it. But like, you know, if it's date night, it's date night. Like, let's go. If we're going to watch a movie, we're going to watch a movie. If we're going to, 
you know, I hung out with my kids all last weekend. Like I'm there. I'm not on my phone anymore. I'm not like, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's just, it's a much better way to live. Do we get it perfect every day? No. But, you know, I look at my energy level. I look at my ability to focus. And, and the quality of your work will tell you the story. Most of the people who would listen to a podcast like this, Steve, we, we work in, you know, the intangibles. We work in sales or marketing or, you know, all that stuff. But look at the quality of your work. Look at the results. And usually if you're suffering, they suffer. And, and what's happened to me since I have found this new system of, of living with the fixed calendar, learning how to say no nicely, managing my energy, managing my time, managing my priorities is I'm 10x more productive. I have more free time. I'm healthier. My relationships are better. And, and I'm actually doing far more than when, I, than when I felt overwhelmed. And some of that, honestly, it's letting go as well. It's, it's actually trusting the rest of your team to do the work for all the solopreneurs listening. You know, you're probably only good at one or two things. I've realized I used to think I was good at everything. I'm terrible at most stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tried to bleach some clothing the other night, I ruined it. Like, I, I can't even do that. But, but I'm a communicator. I can speak, I can write, I can interview, I can talk, I can, I can help leaders try to thrive in life and leadership. That's what I'm on the planet to do. So I can do that one thing. I can do it well. But like even with my podcast, I have a producer who does all the technical stuff. I have a show manager who, who books everything. Um, you know, like, like this is really what I was created to do. So I stick to my lane. Man, this is so good. Helpful on many levels. And I think there's a lot of people for sure listening who want to live more into their calling, spend more time doing what they do best. And, and I'm sure a lot of people feeling like, yeah, I think I am in burnout or low grade. So, you know, for those people, maybe give them a simple first step. I'm big on baby steps, right? Cause you can hear this and be super motivated, inspired. Mm. And then like two hours from now, be back into old habits again. So what's a simple little baby step, th- step they could take right after this podcast? Give you two or three. Number one, uh, go to bed early tonight. And wake up when you're not tired anymore. That that will make that'll make tomorrow better, no matter what. Secondly, do not disturb on your phone. Just just ignore your phone for a while. That'll help a lot. Third, take next week, whether you get the high impact leader calendar or not, take next week and block your time. And what is your most important project? Like if you're looking at it, not the most urgent, but the most important. So what is going to add the most value to the organization? Block some time Monday morning. And if you're an evening person, maybe Monday afternoon. I do my best work between 5 and 10 a.m. So I'm going to block that time for my most important work. So just block that. And then try to limit your meetings. And just block your time. And, and then if, if something doesn't fit in that time... You say, I'm not going to get to it because you're going to move your big priorities. So that's where I would start. Get a good night's sleep. Put your phone on Do Not Disturb and don't live by it. I would even unsubscribe from all your notifications, turn those settings off, and then um, block your time next week. Boom. All right. We're going to end this episode so everyone can go do those things and stop listening to us. (laughs) Uh, 
living away today that'll help you thrive tomorrow. I love what I want to see you do. I love it. And everybody, please go get the high impact calendar. The link is in the show notes and, um, and also check out, you know, Carrie's latest book, which is, I think very related and, um, and just a really important message. Uh, it's called didn't see it coming. And it's all about kind of those challenges that no one expects, um, but everyone experiences. (laughs) And so, um, the link for that is also hey, in the show notes. You know what I'll do? I'm going to give you a second link, Steve. So you can get the whole High Impact Leader course. There's a price to that. Maybe your company will pay for it. It's awesome. Um, but I also have a free short email course that can help you. And if you just go to kerrynewhoff.com, you'll see there's three different free courses there. You can start there as well. All right, cool. And we'll also have the link to that because let's be honest, your last name is really hard to spell. So us yeah, Americans. yeah, you better. You can also go to actually. You know what else will get you there because of that is leadlikeneverbefore.com. So if you just go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, you'll come to a welcome page and you'll see a little box that flips. It says my struggle is time. Click on that one. That'll get you into the free email course, and then that might even help you decide whether the full high impact leader is good for you. Smart man. Where else can people find you on social and and whatnot? Yeah, uh, on Instagram, it's my favorite platform these days. I'm my complicated name, Carrie Newhoff, N I E U W H O F, and Carrie is C A R E Y. Uh, also on Twitter, C Newhoff, Facebook, C Newhoff, and then uh, leadlikeneverbefore.com is the gateway to all of that. Here at the Greenhouse Effect, we are big fans of our friends at Belay Solutions. They are a company that provides virtual assistants and bookkeepers and social media managers. We want to give you a taste of what it's like to work with Belay from one of their clients. His name is Dave Richards, the CEO and lead coach for Elite Performance Associates. Belay saved me. When I was focused on growing my business, you know, I can think of recently, um, I was working with a high profile, uh, you know, federal government agency on a conference for them. And it had a lot of moving parts. You know, my VA allowed me to competently let go of all of those things and just focus solely on preparing content and delivering a high value program to the client. Belay follows up with me. How can I give more this constant prodding of you know, how do you, how can we help you more? How can we pull more from your plate so that you can do, you know, what you're meant to do and what you're best at? If you resonate with any of this and you want more information, we have partnered with Belay to offer $200 off of your startup costs. And if you want to learn more about that or have a free consultation with a member of the Belay team, just click the link in the show notes or go to belaysolutions.com backslash next step. All right, Carrie, so give us a book recommendation that would just go along with what we've talked about today. Probably my top book on that is Margin by Richard Swenson. It's an older book. Uh, Some of the analogies, you know, talking about Blackberries and beepers and fax machines, but the principles are the same. Life is going too fast. It'll help you slow down. It's really, really good. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend. 
Don't forget to subscribe and come on, do us a favor, leave a five-star review. It'll help others find the show too. 